This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Joby Martin, if I'm not the first one to welcome you, welcome to 2024. How the heck are you? About the same as 23, but I'm doing good. Future's bright. Yeah, I figured that was a good thing. The future is definitely bright. I think we both got a lot of momentum carrying us into this year, but... As everybody knows, I love to start out my year by telling guys how they can stop being so crappy. Okay, so one of our best podcasts every single year, one of the most downloaded is my ways to avoid being a crappy man in whatever year that is. And so we got a lot of favorites like don't let sports ruin your night. No porn, no jerking off. You know, be nice to the waitstaff, all kinds of good stuff. But I want to know from you because you didn't know this was coming. But I'm putting you on the spot here. I want you to give me three to five ways that men can avoid being a crappy man in 2024 and they can't be the ones that are on my list already so if you do that that's a violation i throw a flag 15 yard penalty and then we have to repeat the down and you have to give me two extra so we'll just say three we'll keep it to three give me three ways that uh that you can avoid being a crappy man in 2024 and don't say go to church okay because everybody knows that one number one read your bible every day is that on your list it's not on there, but well, thanks for making me feel terrible. Like the very first, <laughs> the very first one you throw out and there ideally, isn't on my it, list. And the first thing you do, like after you pee or whatever, when you get up, um, the first thing you do should be read your Bible. You prioritize that, number one. Number two, uh, um, the miracle where they bring the paralytic guy to Jesus and tear a hole in the roof. He's got four friends mm. that carry the mat. Make it a priority yeah. to, to, to have four corner toters in your life. And then number three, find a life-giving hobby that your wife can give the thumbs up to that steals your mind away from all the really important things in your world. But it's got to be healthy and life-giving. Okay, I feel like you were prepared for that because that just ran right off your tongue. One, two, three. But hey, you know, define define life giving though, because I think everybody's going to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a different definition. But when you say life giving, what do you mean? Well, it's really more just like not bad or not life stealing because a lot of men especially the kind of men that would listen to this podcast are kind of uh adrenaline junkies you know they're kind of looking mm. for a zing and so it could be golf or it could be surfing or it could be reading or reading writing poetry it doesn't matter it's just got to be something that is filling as opposed to drinking too much or going places you shouldn't go or gambling too much or you know spending money you don't have so just something that doesn't suck life out of you, but it, it helps fill you to be the man that God's called you to be at home and with your kids. So would you like to go ahead and share some of that poetry with us right now? Do you just want to pull out your <laughs> journal and just, you can go, I know you got at least a haiku for us. No, I'm, I'm terrible at that stuff. I, what I'm, what I try to do in pastoring this church though, is not every example I give is boots and motorcycles and bows and deer, you know? Just <clears throat> like 97% of the examples? <laughs> well, there's there's the things that just come to my mind naturally. And then, all right, like some guy, you know, like Shane Bernard, some guys that we respect highly. I mean, that's he's a man, he's a dude, and, and that guy probably has an extensive journal that we all benefit from because, you know, his music comes from it. And his hands, except for his fingertips from playing guitar, I bet his hands are a little bit soft, but you know what? 
that dude's a gangster. And if we're storming no the gates of hell, I'd be okay with a spiritual warrior like that on my side. I can tell you that right now. Well, let's go ahead and roll into the next one. And you know, you know, Joby, I like to kind of keep things very low key. I don't really like getting into confrontation. So let's talk about the Pope. Let's talk about Catholicism and let's talk about homosexuality. So obviously at oh. the end of last year, it was very famously uh, reported that the, the Pope and the Vatican have now approved the blessing of same-sex couples. Catholics swore up and down that nothing had changed, but you don't really announce something if nothing has changed. You don't say, hey, breaking news, everything's the exact same. And so as we sit here, it took one day before a priest in America blessed a same-sex couple while they were holding hands. And to date, Joby, the Vatican and the Pope have said nothing about that. They haven't had a word to say about that. They haven't repudiated this person. They haven't called him a rogue. They certainly haven't defrocked him. But I think what this does, Joby, is I, I certainly want you to address that specific controversy. But even though we could do a whole hour on this, I would like to pull out to the whole picture of Catholicism because I do know there are a lot of Protestants that are in the John MacArthur wing of the reform circle that believe every single Catholic is going to hell. And then there are people that are on the other side that think, Hey, it doesn't matter how you worship. It doesn't matter. You know, if you're Pentecostal, if you're Catholic, if you're whatever, Jesus is here for all of us and he's going to take us all up to heaven when it's all said and done. And then there's everybody else in the middle. That's really, you know, kind of trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Even my dog right here, you hear that big sneeze. That may have been a demon that he was sneezing out just now for those of you that are listening with the headphones turned on high. So just go, go with that wherever you want to go with it. Cause there's a lot of confusion right now. Uh, regardless of your denominational background, if you trust in Jesus Christ as the propitiation for your sin, you are saved. There's going to be a lot of Catholics in hell, but there's going to be a lot of Southern Baptists in hell too, because they think their lack of dancing and drinking is going to somehow earn their salvation. So um, in regards to our justification, there is no good work that we can add to it to justify ourselves before the Lord. Uh, core Catholic doctrine does teach that. So, it is off. Thank God for the Reformation. In regards to the Pope's, whatever you want to call it, edict, I don't know what it's officially called, because what happens is he says a thing, and then the the Catholic PR team comes along and says, well, that didn't count because it didn't come from a council. I don't know what all that means. Right. Um, bottom line is this. If you're, uh, if you're a Protestant like me, the, the fundamental difference between a Protestant church and a Catholic church is where their source of authority comes from. And Catholic authority actually comes from three different places. The Bible, whatever the Pope currently thinks or says, and church history of tradition, which was written down in councils. Okay. Right. Well, a big part of what Martin Luther said, no way. There is one source of authority, and it is the Word of God. The things that the Pope is reported saying about blessing same-sex marriages or unions, it is, it is out of line with the Word of God period, end dot. And take John 15 or John chapter 8. Anytime you move away from the authoritative word of God, you are moving away from the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. It is disobedient and it is... some. You go far enough and it's beyond heresy and you get to the place of apostasy because you're, not, you're saying Jesus isn't Lord anymore. My opinion is Lord. That... That's apostasy. So, hey, and it's happening in a bunch of denominations. 7,600 Methodist churches just left the United Methodist denomination because the United Methodist Church moved away from the Word of God in regards to what the Bible says about what marriage is and what marriage isn't. 
And so the interesting thing is people, it's been happening a long time. People think if the church doesn't get with the times then it's going to lose everybody. Well, when, when Jesus made that promise in Caesarea Philippi, upon my rock, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was talking about the rock of the public declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what you see in actuality is the churches that are reaching people are growing. These are the churches that believe in the authority of the word of God and preach the gospel unashamed. Okay. Now I want to make sure that we have time for some of the fan questions. Cause again, guys, the only way that you can get your question answered on ask a passer with the one and only Job and Martin is if you are a monthly donor, but I do want to ask a, a kind of a side to that. Homosexuality seems to be the pet sin the uh, the asterisk sin, if you will, at the end of last year, Lecrae posted this video basically saying, hey, these people were born this way. Like, you know, what, what what are we supposed to do about it? And it's that one sin that everyone seems to be like, OK, you know what? I know what the Bible says about that. And I know what the clobber passages are, as Andy Stanley would say it. But what do you have to say to people that are a part of modern culture that they're lovers, right? They're, they're very emotive. Yeah. They're very feelings driven. And guess what, Joby? They've got gay friends and gosh darn it they're more moral than some of their Christian friends in church. And guess what? They're not nearly as racist as their grandpa that purportedly loves Jesus. And so we just excuse it. Uh, we go along to get along. We, we attend their gay marriage uh, wedding ceremony. And we, we do all these different things to basically tut tut the sin. Like, what do you have to say to these people? Because gosh, it's just damnable behavior in my opinion. Uh, I would ask them the question who their Lord is. And if Jesus is their Lord, Fundamentally, that means they got to do what he tells them to do. Now, do we, we should love all people to withhold truth is not loving and clarity is kindness. Now, just like I don't lead every conversation with who you're sleeping with, I don't think that has to be the lead foot of every conversation that I have with a gay couple. However, to, to try to, to try to, shift what the word of God says to match our current culture means that culture rules. And the Bible teaches us that the enemy is the prince of this air. Well, that's who you're serving when you begin to mold to the culture. Now, I do think that the church historically, probably for the last 2000 years, but at, at, at least American church in the last hundred um, has mistreated the homosexual community and not led with love. Sure. But the pendulum has swung all the way over here where it's nothing but grace and with no truth. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. Listen, the message to every sinner you know is the same. Repent. And there is no kinder thing you could say to a person than repent. Because you turn from the sin of this world, you turn from death and darkness, and you turn to the kingdom, the king and the kingdom of light. It's the kindest thing you could do. Well, and I've said this before, the people that have the higher levels of sin and in, in terms of how we at least keep score, when those people turn to Christ, they understand the grace of God more than the person that, you know, maybe minded their P's and Q's and sat in the front of class and was a straight A student, but still realized one day that they were a depraved sinner. So if a homosexual yeah. person is, their sin is pointed out to them and said, you can't live this way. It's, it's, you know, anti-nature, it's anti-God's law. It's all those different things. Those people are going to have likely a deeper understanding of what true propitiation for their sins actually is. But we need to go ahead and shift gears. We need to get into the first question from a donor. So this is according to, or a question from Elijah. So Elijah, thank you for being one of our donors. And no, that's not my son. He's He couldn't have possibly worded a question like this, but here we go. I have a friend that I've been burdened for in a big way recently. His heart is pretty hard towards religion in general, but I'm burdened for him and want to be a better witness to him. 
However, the main issue is that I constantly mess up in front of him in speech or actions. I'm worried about doing more harm than good with my testimony since I've been outspoken regarding my faith since we met around two years ago. How should I approach witnessing to people like him who are very intellectual, skeptical, and heart of heart and do that better? He actively avoids discussing any deep topics, let alone religion. So I feel if I bring up something like faith abruptly, I'd be in danger of pushing him further away. Any advice would be appreciated. Um, yeah, I appreciate the question. One, don't give yourself, well, there's two things. One, don't give yourself a pass on, uh, sin in your life. You know, I mean, one of the best ways to put a mirror up to your face about your own depravity and how much you need a savior is if you're real serious about leading your lost friend to Christ, because now not only are you convicted of your sin, but you're like, holy crap, I might be in your mind. You're thinking in the flesh, I might be screwing it up with this guy. However, uh, one of the most authentic things your friend could see is what it looks like for a sinner in need of a savior. Mm. So live your life, but you got to pursue walking with Jesus. I mean, you, you really do. All right. <clears throat> you should let him know that you're praying for him constantly. You really should. And a part of what happens is even though he might reject your invitations to a conversation or to a church, What's going to happen is when this guy's life hits the ditch and it's coming one day, he's going to go run to that praying friend, not to the party and friend. That's just going to happen. Mm. And then the other thing, bro, is it doesn't necessarily have to be your words. Like share links to podcasts, share links to sermons, um, share links to even little Instagram reels that point towards Jesus. Just be the guy that's sharing those kind of things. And then the biggest thing is pray for him, not about him. I had I prayed for my dad for 30 years before he came to Christ. And I feel like I'm equipped to share the gospel in a, in a convincing way. And it's not until the power of the Spirit of God draws this guy unto himself that the guy's going to get saved. But don't ever give up. And I would use as many angles. The other thing, too, is if you could team up on the guy, that often works mm -hmm. great. So sometimes, like when I was coaching, when my son was younger and I was coaching baseball, what we would do is all three of the coaches were, were, we were all believers, but we would pick off a dad or two and we would all three befriend the guy and get involved in his life and start inviting him to church. And so just don't give up, man. Just don't give up. I love that. And the thing that I would add to that is be careful what side of the ledger your preferred friend status is on. And so what I mean by that is there are those guys that are in a bunch of dudes' weddings. Right. So they're groomsmen and best men in a bunch of weddings because they're fun to be around. And gosh, they've got the best jokes. And man, they always got liquor. And they were always the guy where the party was basically following them. But when somebody's chips are down, you don't go to the goofball that's fun to hang out with. You go to the solid 3 a.m. friends. And so don't be the preferred friend to, you know, be the first guy to get text when there's a party coming. Be the preferred friend that it's like, hey, it's 3 a.m., the chips are down, and we need some guys with shovels to go bury a body. It's it's a very, very different thing. So be careful about your preferred friend status. Okay, so this next question is not from one single donor because I've kind of gotten a an a accumulation, a coalescing of a bunch of different questions that are in this, this exact same vein. So I'll just flow on it, but I know a bunch of you guys have asked about it. And it centers around two particular people, Mark Driscoll and Ravi Zacharias. And so 
when Ravi Zacharias died, right? Oh, wait, don't be laughing. You, you already have an idea what you're going to say. But when Ravi Zacharias died and his sexual depravity was found out, there were a lot of people at that exact moment that said, okay, mark and avoid anything ever put out by Ravi Zacharias. All podcasts, all YouTube videos, all speeches, all books, all everything, it's gone. Same thing with Mark Driscoll. So whether or not you believe the narrative uh, painted by that you know podcast that went all over the entire planet, whether or not you believe that he is sanctified now or asked for forgiveness, I have been told by multiple people that I love and respect, Joby, that if I support Mark Driscoll, I am supporting an unrepentant sinner and someone that is disqualified from being a pastor because they apparently hold a higher level of knowledge than the rest of us uh, about somebody's status before the Lord. But just in general... There are people that are in and pick your favorite person that has been disqualified from sinning. You know, uh, the, the guy from, uh, oh my gosh, just the, the, the big guy up in, uh, Chicago that had the big church. It was like the first, you know, super big, uh, church up there. And then Carl Lentz and pick, pick your favorite guy. But what are we to do with these people that lo and behold, end up becoming a sinner? Do we mark and avoid them without any nuanced perspective? What are we supposed to do? Um, what if I proposed it this way? What if I was like, man, there's this new worship song and golly, I love singing it. I mean, I love it. It brings me closer to the Lord. I think it's theologically accurate. And then I, I don't know if you've heard, but this worship leader that wrote the song, man, he, he actually had a baby out of wedlock. And, um, apparently he's been arrested for putting out a hit on a dude. What do you think about that guy? Should we sing his song? Turns out that guy's name is King David. Mm. So, we haven't thrown his stuff out. So I think you got to eat the fish, spit out the bones. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the, the information about Robbie Zacharias is just terrifying and heartbreaking. It really is. Um, the, I, I, I know Mark a little bit. We're not like best buddies or anything. All of my experiences with him have been super positive. Um, but I, content wise, dude, find me a better Bible preacher. I mean, seriously. So, you know, I don't attend this church. I would be very, very skeptical of making judgments about people from this far away, just on what you've heard about what you heard. Hmm. Uh, because I don't know if, if your listeners have figured this out. Most of the news sources we have in America are not very reliable. See sure. all of the last three years about hmm. what science says. Now we know science doesn't say that. So I would just be really, really skeptical about the news sources, particularly um, take the rise and fall of uh, Mars Hill, that podcast. Well, it was all fall, no rise. And just check the sources of everybody that was interviewed. Sounds like to me, 99% of them aren't even Jesus followers today. So I don't know that I'd put a lot of stock in what those folks thought. Now, I would not try to convince somebody that they should or should not listen to Driscoll. I think that's probably a matter of conscience, you know, between them and the Lord. Maybe it would be in the food sacrifice to idols kind of uh, realm. But I, but it's for me, man. If, I mean, I listen to his teaching because he's he's an unbelievably gifted Bible teacher, and I feel like it's edifying to me and it's helpful to me. And but again, I haven't had a lot of personal interaction with him. Uh, one time I reached out and asked him to do something for my son. And in about two seconds, he said, no problem. I'd be happy to do anything I could for you. So, but that's what I know. I never met Robbie Zachariah, but I believe the most of the information that's come out. But again, man, God uses all kinds of uh, crooked people to preach his truth in this world. 
When I think another th- thing that is important for us to to reckon with is we we're not consistent in our ability to to mark and avoid because I know those some of those same people that are marking avoiding Mark Driscoll they're dancing to Thriller on Halloween without any <laughs> regard to the allegations to Michael Jackson and the things that he did with you know underage boys so and then there there are poets that people read and there are there there are you know novelists that are rapists and some of them are murderers people love Ty Cobb Ty Cobb murdered a guy. Like, and so like, they're just these things like we don't mark and avoid people that we typically like. If we already didn't like Mark Driscoll, if he already kind of rubbed us the wrong way, now we're going to mark and avoid him. It's like, eh, okay, but I'm okay with telling somebody if I'm suggesting a Ravi Zacharias thing to him, you know what I'm not going to share with him? One of his speeches on sexual morality, that one's going to ring super hollow. And so that would be something that I would tell someone like, Hey, this guy was apparently a sexual deviant, but also he was a tremendous Christian philosopher just like Thomas Jefferson, we have to hold him historically in tension. He was the guy that was basically on the front end of eradicating, uh, you know, slavery in America. The first draft of the Declaration of Independence had in it that we should, or not the Declaration, but the, the U.S. Constitution basically, yeah. no, it was the Declaration of Independence, but it had in there that we were going to eradicate slavery, but he knew the Southern states wouldn't have signed on. And so we would have never been able to break off from the British because we would have never been a joined country in the same time. So He's trying to abolish slavery while at the same time being a, a terrible owner of human beings. We got to be able to hold these things in tension. Like, you know, it's what Thomas Sowell talks about with trade-offs. So appreciate your, your feedback on that. Now, this next question is from the one and only famous from the forging table, Matt Grassmeyer, because, you know, a, a couple of these ago, I just mentioned a guy named Matt and he was like, oh, everybody else gets the big forging table treatment, but then I'm just some guy named Matt. Well, Matt is one of my oldest friends. I didn't think I had to give him this big, huge introduction, but here you go. The mustachioed man himself with the silky voice asked this very, very short, but awesome question. What is your favorite book of the Bible to teach from? Oh, wow. Um, Probably, oh, what a question. Ah, that's uh, a good one. James, James. <laughs> I don't think we're going to say that. Well, it's just, well, okay, so my mind first goes to Romans, but just nine and 10, not the funnest topics to unpack because there's, for thousands of years, there's been a lot of theological debate about what this means. You know what I mean? Then I thought mm-hmm. about Philippians. Um, I love that because of, of the theme of joy, but. But James is just, um, it, it basically requires the least amount of work because you just say what it says. And I think a lot of it is, I mean, imagine if you grew up with Jesus, right? You were not going to tell parables. You were like, I grew up with this dude talking about stories. People would ask him a question. And he's like, well, let me tell you about three little birds. You're like, all right. Uh, James just says, this is it. So, uh, and I just taught on it last year, which was a lot of fun just to march through James. Or actually this year, no, last year, yeah. Yeah, 2023, you marched through James. And here's the funny thing is I feel like I feel like you hold back sometimes when you're preaching. I mean, you you kind of let it fly, but I can tell sometimes like, ah, he wanted to go a little further. He wanted to say more. So that's why I think you like James because James just like, <laughs> here it is, everybody. Like, don't that's hate right. the player, hate the game. Don't hate the messenger. Like, it just is what it is. And so I, I think you like a little bit more of that cut and dry style than you show everybody. You think maybe in 2024 that could be one of your resolutions is to piss more people off in your congregation? You think we can make well, that happen? The, li- the list is already pretty long, so we'll see. 
Very good. Okay. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. All right. We have a question that is combined. Well, it's not combined. It's from two different people, but I'll read both of them. This first one is from Benjamin. Again, Benjamin, thank you so much for being a donor. A lot of guys don't jive with modern Christian music. In fact, many listen to country music. It's not hard to see this when you compare some feminine Christian track to Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town. Some songs are raunchy or sing casually about sin, while others seem fine and are love songs slash reminiscent songs. How would you go about listening to secular songs? Songs, and where do you draw the line for songs that men of Christ should not listen to? And this is related to that question. This is from Ryan. Again, Ryan, thank you for being a donor. Contemporary Christian music, CCM, looks to have become so engulfed with secular culture. Do you see a biblical decline in this industry? So there's a lot of things in here. It's mainly around contemporary Christian music. But if you're listening to secular music, because that's one thing about country music that I talked about in country music theology is just because it has a Southern twang to it doesn't mean it's more moral. They're singing about the same things that a rapper would mumble during, during one of their songs. They're talking about sleeping with random women and getting drunk and getting high. It's not really that different from your least favorite rapper. So take that wherever you want to go with it. Oh, man, what a complex issue. Uh, First, I will agree with you 100% that what people are mostly talking about is preference, not God's precepts. So Alan Jackson sings Way Down Yonder by the Chattahoochee. What a terrible song, man. He's like, if you don't put out, I'm taking you home, and I'm going to go find somebody that will. But, man, it's a catchy tune. So we can ride around in the truck, all right? Which, by the way, can we just— can we just take an aside and say, why did our parents, well, my parents, why did they let me like a seven-year-old kid sing Hoochie Coochie at the top of my lungs in public at the Pizza Hut buffet? Why in the world did y'all guys let that happen? Come on now. Cultural. It's all cultural, bro, because culturally it was not offensive, like to our Southern, you know, country folk. But yeah, more. and, and so you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of hip hop songs, but, but culturally it offends a generation's preferences that's why it's so easy to point out all of the same content that is evil. I think when it comes to listening to quote unquote secular music, um, it is the content and the intent that makes something Christian or secular. So not the music style. You've talked about this before because you have a very unique style of music that you like. It sounds amazing. Intense. Amazing. Great. It's, it's personal. Um, so, <clears throat> but, the, but the way to think about it is not good, bad. You got to think when culture offers us something, there's three ways that we can view this. There are things that need to be rejected. There are things that need to be received. And then there are things that can be redeemed. And there's a lot of secular music that they don't have the Lord in mind whatsoever, but it's very redeemable because there's some, by his common grace, some godly qualities like love and sacrifice and things like that. There are some things that just need to be outright rejected. And then, man, and then there are some country songs that um, are very, like that Larry Fleet song, That's Where I Find God. I, uh, yeah. I love it, bro. I mean, more than love it. Like, But I'm such a country guy. Like, I know if you don't know what Evan Rude is, you're not going to get into that song anyway. Yeah. Okay? Barstool on an Evan Rude. <laughs> and I mean, it's, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Sunday morning or Barstool. Sunday morning so in church view. Yeah, yeah. That's it, bro. I love it. I love it. I love it. So anyway... Um, but that's the way to think about these things. It's uh, There are things that need to be rejected to say that is sin. Uh, There's some things that can be redeemed, like that is, a, that is a redeemable biblical quality that we can receive. And then there's some things that you just, you just outright take and say, I don't care who sings it, um, that, that's a God-glorifying song, regardless of the genre of music. Now, in regards to 
Christian music. Um, I don't know a ton. I, I think a couple things happened. Uh, back when, like, Jeff Moore and Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman, when they were selling out stadiums, there was something to it because they they would say, we are creating performances to be consumed by believers. They that's that was their intent. And then I think I think one of the downfalls is when when worship music became mainstream, I don't know that it's a good idea that the background at Chick-fil-A while you're in the bathroom peeing is a worship tune that you kind of recognize. Yeah. There is there is still something about there's a sacredness should take more attention from God's people to say, this is not just a throwaway background song. This song should focus my eyes towards Jesus. Now, the one thing I would encourage you to understand, though, is if a song is too feminine for you, the key word there is for you. You just have to at least go, my preference is not this type of music. So... You, you don't don't put that in into God's precepts. Like God likes all kind of different music, and all of it, and a lot of it just depends on where you're from and what represents your heart, right? So, yeah. Um, and so we, you've talked about this ad nauseum, which is great, man. It's just there are all kind of different types of music. God is a very diverse God. He's created all kind of different types of people, and we all express love and worship towards Him. I don't think it takes very long, though, in today's contemporary Christian music world to go find some people that sing the kind of music you like. One of my favorite bands now that you turn me on to is the altar music. And so Mm. if the dude likes country music, get you some altar music. It is very, very theologically accurate lyrics, and it's really well done, and I can't get enough of it. Yeah, shout out to Maddie Montgomery and the Altar Church. Uh, I want to keep that going just a little bit because, and just as one aside to all the people out there that think demon notes exist, that think certain guitar riffs or certain drum beats are irredeemable, they're irredeemably satanic. Please stop being so short sighted. But we're running short. Let me say something about that real quick. A lot of that is actually rooted in some serious like racism stuff. Like, I mean, there was a whole bent that said any music with drums came out of Africa and things from Africa are demonic. And, you, and it takes about yeah. one second from a guy with a Bible to realize that most of the hymns that we're singing were bar tunes in the 1500s to realize, wait a minute, you don't have a theological problem. Uh, you, have an, you have an ethnic sociological problem with this music. And, and let's talk about really, that. Really, well, and we also talk about that. Into that. Yeah, absolutely. And where did the church explode first? Not in Europe, y'all. It exploded like in Ethiopia and other parts of Africa. So you got to be real freaking careful. And so, but another thing in addition to that, like, again, when people, I always ask them the same thing, people that are like, hey, metal music can't possibly serve God. You need to remove that from your show. I'm like, how little do you think of the God of the universe that there are noises that I can make with sticks or guitar strings that he can't redeem? Are you out of your mind? But we need to keep this going, but we we have to be brief because we, we both got to yep. wrap this up soon. You and I have talked about this privately, but I think this, this bears repeating. You've talked about several times in uh, your sermons that Satan was, he was like the worship leader of the heavenlies, right? And so he was either made of instruments or he was an instrument or he played instruments, some sort of way like that. We don't know exactly how to define it. And so it kind of hit me one day whenever I was like driving down the road, I'm like, wait a minute, music is so 
all encapsulating for people and it gets them to this crazy place. Like when you watch Swifties at a Taylor Swift concert or when you go back and watch video of like the Beatles and, and the fans that were in the stands or people, I know people like, cause I've been to a lot of metal shows, they will literally cut themselves before they will go into the mosh pit so that they bleed on people while they're moshing. Mm-hmm. Like there's, but music causes people to move in this way. I feel like of all the chosen flavors of temptation, that God or that Satan would have uh, to give to his his minions, it would be through music because that's the language he understood. It's kind of like, you know, maybe a musician has a hard time describing in words to somebody like in a conversation how they feel, but maybe they can write that poem or write that song and maybe it's three chords in the truth and they can get their feelings out. Am I maybe drawing some lines that aren't there or is there maybe something to that? Uh, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, so what you're talking about is Ezekiel 28, where uh, Lucifer was in charge of leading worship for the heavenly host. <clears throat> and I think where his pride is, is he, he would, so God was the source of light that was going to refract through him to lead worship to the heavenly host. And he gets tired of being looked through and wanted to be looked to. He wanted to sit on that seat. Okay, so he gets cast down. He's such a good liar. He convinces a third of the angels to go with him. And, and then you get to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Everything God creates, the enemy tries to corrupt. And if you look at Genesis 1, look at the rhythm in which creation was created. You ever think about this? Why did he take six days and then rest on the seventh? He could have just said everything and everything's there, but he doesn't. Days one, two, and three, he creates the environments in which he fills in the corresponding days of four, five, and six. And there was evening and there was morning the next day. There's a rhythm to it. He creates seasons. It's why people like to sit at the beach and watch the waves. It's our heart beats in a rhythm. I think all of that is tied to why music gets to places in our hearts where words can't. And then the enemy takes what God created and he corrupts it. And so now one of the most influential means to change a culture is music. And if you look at the corruption in the content, regardless of style, in the in music over the last, say the 80s and 90s, then there's no doubt that we're living in such depraved society because the music made it palatable for us to begin to treat people like commodities and sex outside of marriage and kill whoever you want. So I think you're very much onto something. When you've heard the quote and people said the quote before, the law is a teacher. And so we look at something like Roe v. Wade, which was the law of the land from the early 70s. And so you had multiple generations of people that said, well, it's legal, so it must be moral. The same thing, art is a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And so the the lyrical content of things that parents allow their children to listen to. Like whenever I was growing up, my parents would literally, or my mom, she would read the lyrics because that was when they, you know, CDs and their lyrics would be printed in there. If there was anything that was reprehensible, according to her, I had to take it back to Hastings. And that was just the way that it was. We weren't going to be exposed to that. But then I hear these kids singing along or dancing along to these songs on TikTok or whatever that are literally talking about sex outside of marriage, violent, penetrative rape, uh, you know, dealing drugs, like taking advantage of people, hurting people, killing people. And they're just singing along because the beat sounds nice. And it's like, parents, y'all are asleep at the wheel. Wormwood is not dead. Like he, he just found a new person to torture. You know what I mean? But here, I feel like I'm about to bust this off into another thing and I don't want your staff to hate me. So that's all for me in terms of this one. Welcome again to 2024. I think that's off to a good start. Anything else before we let you get out of here? Yeah. Oh, you would. Thank you. Last year when you did your uh, books to read, 
you mentioned anything is possible in the top five. You didn't have to do that. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Well, uh, like I've told you before, and like I tell everybody, I feel no need to give compliments to people when they don't deserve it. And so it's like, if you suck, I may not tell you you suck, or I might tell you that you suck. And again, I feel no uh, desire or pull to, to give somebody any plaudits that they didn't earn and that they didn't deserve. I think you and your co-author did a fantastic job on that book. You've already given me some peeks behind the curtain on some of the other stuff you have coming up that you're working on. And I'm very, very excited for that. But my standards are high, Joby. So if you and Charles don't hit the mark, I will be sure to tell everybody through this microphone. You understand? Yes, sir. We'll do our best. All right. We'll see you next time, Joby. Peace. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Perfect. Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Facedown Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>